Welcome to Money MD, where the money doctors are in the house. We're giving out prescriptions for better financial health and making smart decisions with your money. We give common sense solutions to your complex problems. And now, here are the doctors. Well, John, we're pushing on through summer here, you know, and um, fortunately, golf continues. Yeah, it was a great weekend, July 4th, and then had the tournament going on. Yeah, right. we got DeChambeau, who's like ratcheted up to a whole new level, you know. Just yeah, he's pretty amazing. Like hitting the average and over 350 yards off the tee. Yeah. It's and like <clears throat> crazy. Potential uh, other sports. We got basketball, baseball. They're talking about it, but man, there's some some cases, you know, spiking up in those areas. So we'll there see. Is. I don't yeah, know. it's still a little iffy know. about football, and that's the one I'm really worried about, college football. <laughs> Ouch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, you know, hey, I mean, things move on and, you know, that the things, markets are moving on and um, yes, having another, had another good month last month. And um, so, you know, I think uh, things, all this is going to get behind us eventually. We'll be back to normal. We'll I see. do. I mean, I, I don't hear a lot about the, the medical stuff. I'm, I'm surprised. I mean, there's like over 100 trials that are going on for vaccines. Yes. And yes. I mean, there's a lot of people working on this and it just... It's not making the news cycle. I don't yeah, know. It's, and it's been positive news because I have been reading been. on that. You know, they're making a lot of good progress. They have an unusually large number of vaccines that are they're in like, Potential, you know, yeah. phase two trials right, or something like right. that. So, um, yeah, there's a lot of great potential out there. And the death rate is way down. Um Although the infections are up, and uh, the death rate, though, is probably rising and just probably hasn't hit yet, mm -hmm. but still, you know, yeah. it's a lot of positive news, and, um, you know, but um, having said that, John, you know, um, investors tend to be a little irrationally pessimistic yes, when it comes we'll to times like this. So we're going to talk about a good article out of Yahoo Finance, you know, and a new study that's out talking about you know, investors' uh, confidence levels or lack thereof. And, um, yeah, I mean, we, we there's a lot of data that points to the fact that it's it's a little bit irrational. Yeah, and then we're going to switch gears. You know, Steve, people aren't traveling right now, right? They pretty much shut that industry down. Right. So a lot of people are doing home renovations and, uh, you know, adding uh, kitchen updates and bathroom updates and so forth. Yeah. And, it's really important that you have a budget for that because those those costs can get out of control very, very quickly. So there's a process to follow on that. Uh, kind of a good discussion. Uh, we see a lot of people putting money into their homes, um, some of them because they're going to sell it, some people just because they're, you know, they want to upgrade right. where they are. So a pretty good process to follow that we'll cover in the second second tier. Yeah, it's a great topic, and I, I, I love talking about home renovations. So <laughs> yeah. that'll be fun. Yeah, by the way, I'm Steve Marbert. I'm a certified financial planner and a Dave Ramsey Smart Investor Pro with over 25 years' experience of providing financial planning and investment advice. And I'm John Travis. I'm a Dave Ramsey Certified Counselor. I have an MBA in finance and have been helping corporations and individuals with planning for over 28 years. We're excited to have you listening to us today on our weekly show. Our podcasts are up every Friday afternoon. Yeah, check out our website, moneymd.net. We have a link to the podcast out there. I was just talking to a client about a specific topic, um, you know, and saying, hey, go out there and listen to the podcast. We've covered so many different topics, a lot of historical information, particularly during COVID, right? Yep. In March yep. and April and really May, probably, you know, three months, we, we spent a lot of time on the historical aspects of the market. So go check that out. A lot of good res resources out there. And uh, we have a Facebook page, MoneyMD. We put a good prescription of the week out there every week. Yeah, a ton of information out there. I was just talking to a client the other day. He said he was going back and listening to all of our podcasts 
and he's through 2014. He's in 2014. Oh, my goodness. And I was like, my you're goodness. Serious? I said, if you listen to the next six years of podcasts, our weekly podcast, you're going to know more than I do. <laughs> Dude, so that's, that's impressive. That's so, awesome. yeah, there's a lot of good resources out there. So do check us out on our website. And we're going to start off here, though, with the financial fact of the week. Yeah, this comes from the Deutsche Bank Research Department. And interesting, Steve, you know, people have been working from home. And so there was a survey that was done. And one in three American workers back in May said they, they don't want to work from home. They want to go back to an office environment. But the way I read that is is two-thirds do want to work from home. And I think a lot of companies out there, uh, it's, it's just going to change. I mean, I think they may give some some workers an option of coming in. But right. and I think a lot of workers are going to be remotely for not just because of COVID going forward, but it's just a new way of doing business. Yeah, I think so. You know, I mean, it makes a lot of sense, um, you know, for businesses, you, you save a lot of money, you don't have to have office space. And, um, you know, if they can accomplish as much at home, and you have some kind of way to kind of measure that. Um, why not? You know, yeah. And, and, and yeah, it does limit exposure to things like this. So, you know, interesting fact of the week. And I think it'll I think it's going to be a trend. It's, it's going to stick. Yep. yep. It's going to stick. So. <clears throat> Good, good information. And that leads us up here to our first topic, and that is uh, investor irrational pessimism is Mm -hmm. what I'm calling it, John. Yeah, I mean, this is based on an article out of Yahoo Finance very recently. Um, Ethan Wolfman um, is author of this. And, you know, but we see this all the time, John. I mean, investors are either giddy excited about how well the market is doing you know, and how well things are going. They want to add money thinking that these double digit returns will last forever, or they're just in the dumps thinking markets won't recover for a decade. Um, we see that, you know, and that's, that's what our emotions will tend to lead us to do and why the feelings that we have really are a poor ingredient to our investing success. Um, so now, you know, that we're into the second half of a very tough year, we're finding that many people are suffering from the latter part of those instincts, you know, and that's irrational pessimism. Um, Unfortunately, emotions can lead investors to become illogically negative after poor periods like this. And, you know, you might remember the famous line from Fed Alan Greenspan. You're old enough, John. Mm, You remember this, yeah? I do remember that, yes. Yeah, Alan Greenspan back in 1996. Hard to believe it's been that long when he suggested that investors were irrationally exuberant. They were yeah. suffering from irrational exuberance, is the way he put it. Um, you know, and I mean, we're, we're, so we're kind of on the opposite trend to that now that we're going through this prolonged, tough period. And we're seeing that many investors are, are kind of, their expectations about future kind of becomes disconnected with history and reality. Yeah. And if you think about it, I mean, going back to, to 2018, we had a bear market in the fourth quarter of 2018. So within 18 months, We've had two bear markets. That's right. I mean, that is a that's very unusual, and that certainly impacts when you look back for two or three years. Having two bear markets uh, certainly swings the results quite a bit. Yeah, and it starts messing with your psyche about you know what the future is going to look like. People tend to extrapolate the present into the future. Yeah, so there was a poll done by Harris and uh, Yahoo Finance, and it shows that retail investors are really all over the map about the future. Uh, the stock market and whether they should put money in now. And, you know, there's there's differences uh, that kind of go across demographic uh, lines here. And so this data comes from about 200 U.S. adults with financial assets or investments. And it shows that there's a lot of confusion and a disconnect between market participants. And, of course, it's not not really that surprising. There's a lot of 
a lot of confusion out there about where the, the economy is heading. And, um, you know, the economy still is in crisis. I mean, you look at the unemployment rates, there's still very, very large numbers. Um, but stocks, um, since plunging back in March, have roared back and, and pushed the, uh, the markets close to its record highs. There's still some asset classes that are still significantly lower. Right. There's other asset classes that are closer to the, to the highs. So they've come back a lot since March. Yeah, absolutely. And when you look at the study, um, you know, four out of 10 people, 41% that have stock investments, they expect trouble ahead in the next five years. And actually, they believe there'll be negative returns over the entire five-year period, according to this Yahoo Finance Harris poll that was just just released. The survey found that 18% of people with stock investments believe the losses will be between 5 and 0% per year. And 11% believe they'll be between 10% or down 10% to down 5% per year. Yeah, that's um, pretty negative sentiments. Pretty negative sentiments out there. And that's, you know, half, almost half the people. So, you know, just to show you how rational these feelings are with these outlooks, um, just 19% of the respondents said they thought it was a good time to decrease your exposure to the market. That means that 81% are planning to stay the course because it's been drilled into their psyche not to sell when markets are down. Yet, you know, of those 81%, um, a lot of those think they're going to lose money. Yeah. So it really doesn't make any sense. You know, furthermore, I mean, since these numbers come from people that are still holding stock investments, this bearish sentiment doesn't even include those people who have already decided to ditch their stocks, you know, for cash and at some point during the crisis jumped out of the market. So... Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of bearish sentiment out there about the future of the stock market. Yeah, and that's a lot of bears who think, um, you know, the returns will be negative for, for half a decade. I mean, that's a long time. And interestingly, uh, the, over half the, the survey respondents believe investment results will be modestly positive uh, in the next five years. So you've got a segment that's saying, hey, it's going to be negative. You've got the other segments which says, hey, there's going to be some gains uh, the bull bear sentiment showed interesting differences when it started talking about age groups. So people that were younger, uh, between 35 and 44, proved especially bullish compared to other groups. 67% of them said it was a good time to invest, with just 9% indicating that uh, you should get out. And the most aggressive group, obviously, is the the young folks, 18 to 34. Yep. And uh, 32% think it's a good time to increase exposure to stocks. So, you know, it's, it's age and, and probably gender related as well as you go through these studies. Well, yeah. Speaking of gender, you're exactly right. It is gender related because men are thinking about the market far more aggressively than than women are. Forty one percent of men say that it's a good time to increase their holdings in the stock market compared to just 21 percent of women. Of course, both those numbers are kind of bearish. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's less than half. So but the Harris polls uh, CEO, Will Johnson, he kind of offered an explanation for this gender disconnect, noting that women you know, have been hit far differently than men when it comes to job losses during this pandemic. He says, you know, we, we may all be in this together, but the recession isn't hitting all of us equally. You know, a greater percentage of women are losing jo their jobs through layoffs or furloughs than men are. And one key reason is that women disproportionately work in sectors that were shut down by the pandemic, such as retail, hospitality and education. So that kind of makes sense. Mm -hmm. So so this gender carryover um, does continue when it comes to people, whether people feel confident um, about hitting their investment goals, with 32% of men saying they're very confident 
compared to just 4% of women. So almost none of the women think mm-hmm. they're going to hit their investment goals and about a third of men. So still there's a lot of negative out there, even among the men, but but almost none of the women think that they're going to hit their goals. So this confidence gap, though, it narrows when respondents are asked whether they were fairly confident about reaching their goals. 60% of men said they're fairly confident compared to only 47% of women. Age-wise, um, you know, that makes a difference as well. People 55 or older were more likely to report confidence in achieving their goals than were the younger folks. Yeah, so when you go back and look at the numbers, just to kind of summarize here, it really does illustrate how irrational some of that thinking is. And so if you remember, 41% of investors uh, expect negative returns in the market over the next five years, and 51% predict returns will be modestly positive uh, less than five percent a year, down to to zero. But when you look at history, this is where they're you know looking at history. You know, it doesn't predict the future, but just understanding a little bit can put this in perspective. Right. There's only a twelve percent chance, based on historical numbers, that the S and P five hundred would have a negative return over any five year period, and it's um, much less when you follow it uh, a bear market. Right. Right. So the, in fact, the average five year return coming out of a bear market has been. Uh, above average with almost a 12% return per year. So, uh, you know, the numbers just don't jive. I mean, we don't know what's going to happen over the next five years, but right. history says it's a very low chance of it. Yeah, in fact, you know, it's a higher chance that you have above average returns when you're coming out of a right. recession like this. So it's, it's uh, yeah, it's total disconnect with history. Um, but, you know, you understand. I mean, you know, there's no doubt the economy has been battered by this pandemic and this shutdown. Um, and I think we can all agree that the pand- you know, the overall pandemic is temporary, though, you know, and once it's over, there's no reason the economy shouldn't get back well on its way to recovery. Um, of course, there, there's a lot of uncertainty about when that will be, um, but we haven't heard any analysts yet really talking about years for this in the end of this pandemic, you know, at this point. And, you know, if it ends next year for good, the pandemic does, then you know, why wouldn't we see a return to growth in 2021? Um, it kind of, you know, it stands the reason that we would. So if you look at the last 12 recessions over the past 80 years, the S&P 500 has never returned less than 25% total return over the next five years. Um, it averaged 120% gain over those 12 periods following in the next five years following the recession. So in fact, there were no three-year periods that were negative coming off of a recession, and only two um, periods saw a negative one-year return coming out of the 12, mm-hmm. two out of the 12 coming off the a recession. So historically, markets have clearly done above average in the years following recession, and it makes perfect sense. I mean, when you go through a recession, you know, you lose almost an entire year on average where the market, you know, drops and makes nothing before recovering um, you know, and since we know, you know, the long term average of the stock market has been around 10 percent a year, I mean, you logically would expect the market to be up for would make up for that lost time and would have above average returns coming out of a recession. Um, also, the economy typically grows the strongest coming off a recession where there has been some pent up demand. So, you know. It, it logic does stand. Yeah, and and so you know, as you look at this, there's really no logical reason to expect a uh, prolonged weak period in the markets coming off this recession. I mean, it's a fact. The economy certainly has been hurt, and it will take some time to recover. But markets historically have recovered, 
and they've moved on to healthy gains coming off of recessions. And we don't know if it's going to play out the same way this time, but historically that's the way it's played out. That's right. That's right. Yeah, I mean, past performance, certainly no guarantee of future results, but at the same time, this is history, you know. So, yeah, I mean, the moral here is, you know, following your instincts will rarely lead you to make wise choices with your investments. Um, In fact, you know, they often lead you to irrational behavior and decreases your returns. However, the opposite can be true if you follow a prudent investment process that is separated from your emotions. I mean, for instance, you know, through our discipline process, you know, we we rebalanced most accounts back in March, um, mm-hmm. which was near the market market bottom um, so far. And, you know, we moved more money into stocks as a result when we did that rebalancing. And the early results are demonstrating, you know, that historically, if you do that, as the it has shown so far this time, rebalancing does improve returns over time historically and enhances the recovery often. So... Um, this is precisely what research shows you should be doing in down markets, yet your emotions are rarely going to lead you to buy more stocks in a down market. That's why you can't follow your emotions. You have to have a discipline process. And that's why it's critical in years like this that you lay aside your feelings, stick with your discipline, proven strategy, focus on your long term. That's really the moral of the story here. So that is that. And that leads us up here to our question of the week. So see how much you learned last week, Steve. How, how right. much is too much to spend on a on a pet? How much is too much to spend on a pet? Yes, I'd, I want to hear your answer on this. I'm I'd really say excited. say as much as you have, John, you would never <laughs> want to spend. I mean, you, you could spend all, well. That, <laughs> but how about a budget? A, a budget is a good thing to have. Put, Let's, put, Put a budget out there, and um, you know there's there's different levels for for different people. We you know we, we're we're animal lovers. We would probably spend a very large amount um, because uh, you know boomers are our our life right now. But there there would be a cap. I mean, obviously you they should, came back you and should said definitely have a budget. Yeah, if there's a you know it depends also on the quality of life and so forth. So there's not a right answer to that, right? It's different for everybody. It's not for you. you gotta, it may be you got to like, prioritize it. I mean, if it's you could know be like, fifty bucks for you, you know something like that. Well, thousands. John, I mean, come on, I'm a pet lover, you know. I, I, well, we got KJ from the pound. Actually, it was a stray cat. Yeah. So, uh, so took, we didn't pay anything for him. We took a cat off the street. That was nice. It was. And then we, we had to go get her, you know, taken care of, yeah. obviously, and, yeah, yeah. and all that. But yeah. So, yeah, just, be, it's a great question. You do have to have a budget. That's the key, you know, but everybody has different priorities and you just got to prioritize everything. So, if you know how much money you have, how much you're coming in, how much you spend on everything, then you can prioritize whether you want to go, you know, have a golf budget or whether you want to <laughs> have a pet, you budget. know, go to the mountains often <laughs> or whether you want to, um, you know, own yeah. a pet or or if you got enough money, I guess you can do it all. Yeah, right. Well, so if you if you if you don't, you know, if your budget is tight and you do decide to do something with with, um, you know, Fido, it's yep. got to come out of another bucket. Right. Don't go right. into debt for it. Yeah, exactly. Don't come out of debt. Have a budget. Know what you're going to spend. That's the key here. So good question of the week, though. (laughs) Thank you for your answer. There you go. All right. And that leads us up here to our next topic, and that is how to create a home renovation budget. Speaking of budgets. Yeah, this is uh, interesting. This comes from the Ramsey organization. And, um, you know, depending on the type of room you renovate, I didn't really realize these numbers here and, and obviously where you live and how confident you are with the hammer, um, you know, the, the cost right. could be between 10 and $60 per square foot. So that's kind of the, 
the estimated cost, pretty wide range. Um, but keep in yeah. mind, many factors make up the uh, the cost of a home renovation, room size, type of work needed, cost of materials, how big the project is. You know, if you're going to convert your basement into a bowling alley uh, or put a jacuzzi on your roof, you know, you're probably going to have a higher cost, right? For sure. Yeah. I mean, if you're renovating a kitchen and you're going to change all the cabinets, well, the cost can, cost can explode. Yeah. So the the average cost of a kitchen is between thirteen and thirty seven thousand. Okay. Bathroom between six and fifteen thousand, and uh, I guess redoing a basement or finishing a basement between eleven and twenty nine thousand. So, you know, if you have those three projects in front of you, you're going to have to zero in on one project more than likely it takes priority and, and put the other ones on hold. So the smartest way to create a home renovation budget is to really just lay those out, um, get some bids for each one of the individual projects, and then rank them according to the priority and uh, and start a detailed budget for the project that you want to done, done first. But, you know, there's another big question there, right? How are you going to pay for it? How are you going to pay for it? That's the question, yeah. And if you want to be smart about, you know, paying for your home renovation project, cash really is the only way to go, you know? Um I mean, sure, you've heard of all the, you know, financing options, how you can get in the debt doing the home renovation, like a home equity loan or a home equity line of credit, HELOC. Um, but debt is not a good idea, and renovations aren't worth borrowing, you know, on what you've already, what you already own, which is your home, you know, and your equity, um, and then pay it back plus interest. It's just not worth that. So um, you need to stay out of debt when you do the home renovation and if you currently have consumer debt, you're better off focusing on paying that off first and saving up an emergency fund, three to six months of expenses before you tackle the renovation. I mean, then you can take the amount, you know, that you were paying for to your emergency fund and start using it to save for the renovation projects. Um, so, you know, you'll save yourself so many headaches by paying for cash, not to mention, I mean, your home renovations will feel like a blessing instead of a curse. So take control of your monthly spending, you know, save cash for the renovations, um, you know, and you can do it faster if you have a budget, right? And you can you can download a lot of free budget apps mm -hmm. out there yeah. like, you know, Mint.com you can use, Every Dollar, Dave Ramsey's app. Um, so a lot of ways, but you need to create a budget and you need to save the money ahead of time. Um, or save it, you know, in pieces and do the do the renovation in pieces. But yeah, don't go in debt for the renovation. Yeah, so there's really three steps as you go through and evaluate uh, what you're going to do upgrades to your house. And the first one is just to prioritize the the project. You know, if you're if you have a room that's out of whack and causing trouble, then you may want to tackle that one first. Or maybe you have a desire to renovate a particular space. You just got to figure out, hey, you know, we've got four projects, but this one is going to be um, the, the number one and what we're going to tackle initially. And, you know, you may also have one that is uh, going to affect your home value. Some people want to do some things because they're not going to be there. So you got to prioritize those projects, which um, are going to help you sell your home. And this is interesting. Uh, projects like new roofing and new wood flooring um, earn renovators six to seven percent more at resale than spent on other projects. So new roofing was actually the highest one. Yeah, uh, positive return. Yeah, helped you uh, close a sale. So it's not real fun to do roofing. Can't really enjoy that, but it does help you sell the home and maybe for a little bit more. Another one here that you have to look at is maybe you're going to do a renovation for enjoyment. And, um, you know, whether it earns, you know, back the full amount or not is not the really reason why you're doing it. So some people do kitchens. Uh, or closet renovation, Steve. I didn't know a closet would be that exciting to renovate. I don't know. No, Have I mean, ever... it doesn't get me real excited. But, we, um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I but, could see that, though. I mean, it, it does 
It would I, be nice to have yeah, places to put everything. but you can't expand the closet. I mean, you could put shelving well, in. You could. Stuff. You could bust out a wall I and guess, make, you know, maybe. something else smaller in your house. So the kitchen and closet were the two, they scored the two highest, um, you know, that people were happy with. So Okay. Yeah, Interesting. I, just, I wouldn't have that on my list. Kitchen maybe, yeah. bathroom yeah. maybe, but. Yeah, yeah, I redid all the bathrooms in our house. So the old bathrooms, we have, you know, some old older bathrooms. And I redid those myself. And, and that, you know, I, every time I go in there. I'm like, man, this looks so great, you know, and it's been years now. It's been is that the one that was years. leaking? No, no, this is a different okay. different bathroom. Okay. I had three old bathrooms in the house. You had a the pipe that ones. busted or something. I did. That was a newer okay. addition we did, gotcha, you know, gotcha. but I'm just, yeah, I mean, it was definitely uh, very pleasing, particularly if you do a lot of work yourself, and that's where I come in. I really think, you know, you can do a lot of this yourself, and you can save a ton of money, you know, on the bathroom. So, but you, so... And that comes down to estimating the cost. You know, you really have to do that. That's a big step here. So pull out the calculator. Um, and it, it's kind of fun to get into this, you know. Now that you decided which renovation to do first, you need to um, break down the cost for everything that goes into the project, including the labor, the materials, um, you know, everything that you need. And this will take some research. So get a cup of coffee, you know, and, and get online, do your research, Keep in mind, you won't be able to get an exact cost until you talk to contractors about some of this. But digging in online will give you ballpark figures where you can be realistic about, you know, what it's going to take to get it done and what your budget will need to be. Um, this will give you a better idea of how uh, much, how far your money goes in your renovation project so that you can prioritize things. Um, and it can also show you how to cut back cost in some areas and areas that you can splurge in. I mean, for example, you could, you know, skip the new flooring. You could use that money for the fancy marble countertops instead. So yeah. you need to have a good estimate. Good cost estimate. Once you have that, go and get three contractor bids. Um, you know, get some good good uh, recommendations from fr friends and family. Um, and be, don't be tempted to go with the lowest bid. I mean, you may end up paying um, for someone who doesn't, uh, you know, finish a project fully and doesn't back up their work. So contractor bids going to be important. Get three of them at least, and you can have an idea of the, the different costs. But there are some ways to cut down on the cost. And we'll go through the four here pretty quick. Yeah, exactly. I mean, one of the best ways to lower your renovation cost is to do it yourself, you know, and I love that idea because I think people can do a lot more than they give themselves credit for. It's really not that hard. And there's so many good online tools, you know, videos, you can watch YouTube that show you how to do just about everything. But more than a third of homeowners actually did the entire renovation project themselves, according to this study. And now if you're you're not comfortable handling all the parts yourself, you could still knock off some of the cost by doing maybe some of the task yourself, like doing the flooring. You know, whenever yep. we did an addition, yep. I did all the flooring in our addition. And uh, so you can save a ton of money there. And you can do your own demolition is another way. You can rip out the flooring, tear down the drywall, you know, remove cabinetry. That'll save some money. Um, you could shop for lower cost materials. Um, I highly recommend this. They say 14% of homeowner, homeowners purchase their own materials and, uh, you know, then hired out the labor for the project. And I think you want to do that because that allows you to take your time. You can find exactly what you want. You can save a lot of money. And, you know, then you can go kind of break those into two separate things and, and then just hire for the labor. Yeah, that's a great idea. Uh, another another idea to uh, to lower cost is hire your own subcontractors. You know, instead of having a, a builder per se, having it, you know, all control over everyone, go out there and, and hire the, the plumber and the electrician and so forth. And we did that yep. when we built our house many, many years ago. And the, the, the final one is um, 
do your own painting. Uh, it costs anywhere between 200 and 800 to hire someone to paint a typical 120 square foot room. But if you do it right. yourself, it can be as low as a, a hundred bucks. I mean, yeah. basically the cost yeah. of the paint and uh, it's a big savings when we, um, and anybody can do that. Right? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> I, we built our house back in, in 2003 and I rented a paint uh, sprayer over Thanksgiving okay. four day okay. weekend. And I wow. went through our house twice and sprayed the base coat on everything. Wow. And I think the estimate was 10,000. I probably spent 2000 on it. So it's a huge savings. You can you save a ton of money doing that. Yeah. I think that's a great idea. At least do the painting, but you know, there's a lot of other stuff you can do no too, doubt. if you're willing to dig into it. So great idea. You can save a ton of money on those renovations. So good, good topic. All right. And that leads up to our final uh, thing for today. And that is the prescription of the week. Yeah, this has to do with um, uh, stock market, financial history, and so forth. And it's it's don't let your mistakes in the past prevent you from making healthy decisions now. And that first uh, topic we had about emotions, yeah. it's this is very emotional. And you know, one of the values that an advisor can add to your situation is is kind of help you, you know, talk you off the ledge, right? And give you some <clears throat> perspective and some things to think about, some things to go read, and so forth. So, um, we do have people that we work with that have you know really struggled in two thousand and eight, uh, and this has been a challenging time yep. for them as well. But we have an opportunity to to do these podcasts that they can go back and listen to, and so forth. So, don't dwell on your past mistakes. Focus on where you are and what you need to do to you know be successful going forward. Yeah, I mean, your past mistakes are water under the bridge, right? They're sunk costs. You know, you can't go back and redo those. So you got to you got to start fresh. You got to make wise decisions moving forward based on prudent, you know, research and history and, and, and you know, just good choices based on your goals and where you're at. So um, I think that's a great prescription of the week is, you know, make good choices based on where you are today and where you want to head, not on the yeah. past. And sometimes it's reaching out to other people and talking to them to, you know, the, that emotional Get urge to do something. Yeah, you see a headline in the news and you want to make a decision on it. I tell you, headlines in the news are, are wrong about half the time. They are. They really have no idea <clears throat> they're what they're dangerous. About. They just gin yeah. up your emotions yep. and you can't make decisions, your investment decisions based on your emotions. So even the right. one I saw that said Clemson was a, a contender for national title, I don't think that was real. Yeah, I wouldn't. I, don't think, I wouldn't I don't invest know. based on that, John. I would, but I would watch football based on that. Yes, yeah, yes, I yeah. would. Clemson all be a comes good, back to exciting football. team to watch. Yeah, they <laughs> will. If they play, they definitely will. <laughs> yeah, we'll see. We'll see. All right. Well, that brings us to a close for this week's edition of Money MD. Tune in next week to hear more prescriptions for your financial health, and check us out on our website, MoneyMD.net. Give us a call if we can help you at Richard Young Associates at seven zero six seven three nine. 0725. Thanks for listening. Have a great rest of the week. Have a good one. This program contains general information only and should not be taken as specific investment, tax, or legal advice. This broadcast is not a solicitation for the purchase or sale of any security. SmartVestor Pro is not connected to investment returns. Further information is available by contacting Richard Young Associates, a registered investment advisor. 